Some of you are going to find this a bit incredulous, but here's something that federal, state, and local governments all tell us to do that we should actually listen to. Eat more fruits and vegetables. You've heard about the health benefits of increasing plant-based nutrients into your diet, but how can you easily consume all the fruits and veggies needed? Well, it's easy. By adding Grown American Superfood and Essential Vitamins Plus Immunity into your meals. Grown American Superfood and Essential Vitamins Plus Immunity is a power blend that has 31 fruits and vegetables in every scoop. Organic vegetables, super greens, super fruits, and super sprouts. It is fortified with essential vitamins plus an immunity boost. And right now, you can get a free two-week supply of Grown American Superfood and Essential Vitamins Plus Immunity by just paying $8.95 for the shipping and handling. And not only that, you'll also get a free frother to quickly whip up your healthy and nutritious grown American drink. Go to grownamericansuperfood.com forward slash John and order today. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. This is the John Fugelsang Podcast. This is Progress After Dark. I'm John Fugel saying welcome to Channel 127. Thank you to the great Dino Badala and his great team. How nice to have a live lead in right here. We're going to be coming at you for the next three hours with a whole lot of truth, a whole lot of facts, a whole lot of empathy, a whole lot of comedy, a whole lot of music. And we will bring you to the verge of entertainment. We're going to be joined tonight by Professor Leonard Grob and John Roth, who are both accomplished professors, one Jewish one Christian, they have co-written the book Warnings, the Holocaust, Ukraine, and Endangered American Democracy. Two Holocaust scholars got together to write a whole book about what parallels exist between that time and this one. We're also going to be joined by the great Allison Gill, also known as Muller She Wrote. If you're on Twitter, uh, one of the best podcasters on politics and someone who's been fired by Donald Trump. We're always happy to have Allison back on our show because today was a little bit of news about more indictments. We're going to send you all conversion charts to keep track of all. It's a little thing you put in your wallet that helps you keep track of all the different federal and state indictments. Also, uh, Dr. Tracy Pearson joins us in hour number three to go over a lot of the legalese of what might be happening with these indictments. We have a dynamite show tonight. Chris Houseltz, our executive producer, running this thing from South Carolina. The great Thea Harper is producing our show from Brooklyn. Thank you to everybody listening live. We'd love to hear from y'all. We have a we have a lot, a lot to cover on tonight's show. The, the airport in Iran saw a heat index of 152 degrees Fahrenheit this week. Like it's like the real feel, uh, which is which is terrifying. We have this soldier who is going to be facing military discipline in the U.S. and he just crossed the border from South Korea to North Korea, becoming the first American detained in the North in, in, in nearly. Five years. Uh, Phoenix, Arizona has now recorded temperatures in excess of 110 degrees for 19 consecutive days. And the, another case of malaria has been reported in Florida, bringing the total to eight since May. Also, don't know if you heard about this, but in Poland, they're getting scared because the cats are being diagnosed 
with avian flu. They have not yet jumped to warning that the human population might be at risk, but watch this space. So there, there's we got we got a lot to cover tonight. All right, let's get to it. Um, I, I wanted I want you tonight uh, for the show to to think about the the biggest traitors in history, the, the the most ferocious betrayers you've ever read about. Benedict Arnold, sure. Uh, Robert Hansen, who just died not too long ago, and Alder Games. How about Robert Ford shooting Jesse James in the back? How about Brutus? How about Judas Iscariot? Well, <laughs> there's lots of famous traitors we can all learn from, but one of the most famous traitors was born this date 136 years ago in Norway. You may have heard of his name, at least his last name. He was, of course, Vidkun Abraham Loretz Jonsson Quisling. He was a Norwegian military officer and a politician who eventually got to uh, fulfill his dream of being a Nazi collaborator. He pretty much ran the government of Norway during the country's occupation by the Nazis during World War II and did everything he could to make it as comfortable for the Nazis as possible. When you think about traitors, you know, what's worse than betraying your countrymen? How about uh, ruling over your countrymen in the service of a foreign oppressor? See, uh, years before World War II started, 1933, Quisling was in the Farmers' Party of Norway, and he didn't think it was fascist enough, so he left and founded uh, the hardcore fascist party, uh, the National Gathering. I can't pronounce it in Norwegian. National Samling. And they just attacked the left all day long, right? You know, <laughs> like right-wingers always do. So... In April of 1940, Germany invaded Norway, and Quisling tried to seize power in the world's first ever radio broadcast coup d'etat. Think about all those jackasses who were trying to storm our capital on January 6th and doing it live streaming. It's nothing new. It was done 83 years ago by Victor Quisling when he tried to seize power, except he failed. Didn't work. He could not control the government during the Nazi invasion, so his coup did become the first radio-broadcasted coup d'etat in history. But in 1945, he got lucky. In 1945, he sort of became the minister-president, had his own regime, and became the Nazis' puppet government in Norway. He formed a second government that the Germans approved of, and once the Germans liked who he assigned, he served as minister-president, ran the Norwegian state administration jointly with the German civilian administrator, who was a Nazi. Norway had a pro-Nazi puppet government. They were called the Quisling Regime, and it was mostly ministers from his far-right nationalist Nationalsammling movement. And they helped Germany's war efforts almost any way they could. I mean, Quisling really believed if Norway supported Nazi Germany on the battlefield, Germany would never bother annexing us. We'll be good friends. They won't take us over. So Quisling helped send Jews out of the country to concentration camps in German-occupied Poland. Now, in 1942, Quisling lost any chance he ever would have had to keep the public's love because he tried to start his own Hitler Youth. He had the National Samlings... I can't pronounce anything in Norwegian. But it was a youth organization for right-wingers modeled after Hitler Youth, and it was insanely unpopular. Mass resignation of teachers, uh, churchmen, a lot of civil protest. So when the war ended... Quisling was put on trial during the legal purge in Norway after World War II, and they found him guilty of embezzlement, murder, and high treason against the Norwegian state. He was sentenced to death, executed by firing squad in October of 1945. And since the death of Vidkun Quisling, 
he's become one of history's most infamous traitors and collaborators and Nazi-adjacent douchebags. The word Quisling has stayed famous. It's become a synonym for traitor. It was coined by the British newspaper The Times in April of 1940. They, they had an article called Quislings Everywhere. And now it's a word people throw around when they're talking about traitors. I know Benedict Arnold's more popular, but try Quisling sometime. Because this brings us to Donald Trump. <laughs> you knew that, right? Now, um, yesterday we talked about how the Georgia Supreme Court unanimously dismissed Trump's petition to block the DA in Atlanta from investigating him over the allegations and evidence on tape that he interfered in Georgia's election and tried to throw out the election results. Georgia Supreme Court said, no way. You can't do it. Fonnie Willis's case is going to happen. So today, even bigger surprise, 16 fake Michigan electors, all of whom knowingly signed certificates, falsely claiming Donald Trump won Michigan in the 2020 election, got charged with crimes. Thank you, Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel, who announced that today. Remember, Joe Biden won Michigan by 150,000 votes. It's like 2.6%. It was not close. It was larger than the margin of victory in Arizona, Georgia, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania combined. Almost twice as many votes in the lead as Trump got in North Carolina. But here's the thing. The week was going badly for Trump. But let's not forget, back in 2020, right before, a few months before the election, Donald Trump gave a speech to the veterans of foreign wars in Missouri at their convention. And he said, just remember, what you are seeing and what you are reading is not what's happening. Just stick with us. And he has a long tradition of telling his followers not to believe what they see not to believe what they hear. Have you ever been blindly obedient to anyone? A parent, a religion, a teacher, a coach, a lover? Imagine being blindly obedient on such a public scale to a guy like Donald Trump. Now, you know who's not obedient to him? You know who doesn't buy what he's selling is, is Jack Smith. And we now know that Trump has received a letter informing him that he is the target of the DOJ's investigation into efforts to overturn the results of the 2020 election. And he vomited out on his filth social website yesterday, earlier today, I am a target of the January 6th investigation, and Jack Smith is giving me a very short four days to report to the grand jury, which almost always means an arrest and indictment. He's aware of how scary this is, but of course he's a terrible client, and he actually calls special counsel Smith deranged in his posting, which I'm sure made the lawyers feel great. Here's the deal. Normally, if Donald Trump tells you something, you, you know, you can't believe it. But this time, he, we can believe him, I think, because we all know what he did. We all remember January 6th. We all sat through last summer's miniseries of the January 6th Commission, which collected tons of evidence and testimony ready-made for Jack Smith's grand jury. So, <laughs> what does this mean? Uh, we also found out today that the phones of former Trump attorney John Eastman and his current buddies, uh, Jeffrey Clark, Mike Roman, and our old friend Chris, Boris Epstein. Oh, the fun we had with Boris at SiriusXM back in the day. Well, their phones have been seized by investigators in Jack Smith's January 6th investigation. They're not fucking around. It looks like this is coming to a head. And, and again, remember, a judge had to sign off on all of these seizures. A judge had to look at the evidence Jack Smith had to justify taking their phones. It's a pretty clear sign this is not going to be just about Donald Trump, but this will be focused on a conspiracy 
involving many, many different individuals. Now, Democratic lawmakers have tried to avoid weighing in on Trump's first two indictments. You know this. We've talked about it many times. Y'all have called up mad. Democrats aren't fighting more. Um, But it made sense. They don't want to be seen as attacking Donald Trump. Joe Biden is not indicting Donald Trump. Joe Biden has not sicked anyone on Donald Trump. Literally, a grand jury, a grand jury in Florida saw the evidence and chose to indict him. So they've tried to avoid it. Now they're, they're starting. Jimmy Gomez of California, representative, said people feel it when you're the victim. Our government wasn't just the victim, but the people in the room were victims as well. Hakeem Jeffries said a mob of insurrectionists violently attacked the U.S. Capitol on January 6th to halt the peaceful transfer of power. The American people deserve to know the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Hakeem Jeffries didn't say much about the two previous days of indictment. But here's the deal. Six months before the 2020 election, Donald Trump began saying it was going to be rigged because he knew he was going to fail. He knew Biden was going to beat him. So he began saying for six months, going to be rigged. If I lose, it's rigged. And now what happened? A few months before this indictment, he goes on Phil Social and and posts that uh, uh, they're going to indict me. It's going to be election interference. It's literally the same con job. Literally the same con job. (laughs) he's getting indicted for election interference. But this is the one, man. This is the one we waited for. Stormy? Stormy Daniels? Yeah, it's messed up. But it's his private life, his affairs, so he lied about campaign finance. Throw the book at him if he did it. I get it. But, you know, come on. That's his personal life. The, The documents? Well, the documents are bad. The documents he stole are bad. He did violate the Espionage Act, but we we don't know what the documents were. We haven't seen any proof that he sold anything. He didn't give anything away to Russia that we know of. But January 6th, January 6th, friends and neighbors, we watch this on TV. We know what went down, and we've been waiting for two and a half years. We don't yet know what criminal charges could be presented to the grand jury. I mean, the assembly of fake pro-Trump electors, Trump's fundraising based on lies about voter fraud, and of course, everything Trump did the day of January 6th. A few other things happened, by the way. We found out today that Donald Trump wasn't just stashing nuclear secrets he had stolen at Mar-a-Lago. Turns out Israel is a little bit mad. They uh, loaned Donald Trump some various antiquities in 2019 on the condition they'd be returned shortly thereafter. Turns out Donald Trump took the Israeli antiquities and brought them back to Mar-a-Lago. Just stole priceless artifacts from Israel. Okay. Um, Donald Trump is now going online saying that Joe Biden is a crackhead. Uh, saying that Joe Biden uses cocaine. There is no evidence that Joe Biden uses cocaine. <laughs> it's getting crazier and crazier. And, and, and here's the deal. It's helping Democrats. Trump's lies about the election, that he's still pushing this, has allowed Democrats to say the entire Republican Party is anti-democracy, the entire Republican Party is extremist, the entire Republican Party backs those terrorists, the entire Republican Party is batshit crazy. And you know what? Worked out pretty well in the midterms, didn't it? I mean, Trump's election deniers that he had endorsed were defeated state after state after state. But let's talk about Trump's friends today. On the eve of another indictment, another federal indictment, can we talk about the quizzlings of modern Trump times? Because we're going to see how well Republicans can defend Donald Trump over the next few weeks. You know, they're going to tell everyone, ignore the charges over January 6th. It was tourists. You've heard all the lies and excuses they have. No one cares. We all watch the violence. We all watch the terrorism. (laughs) Again, terrorism is using violence or the threat of violence to bring about change. It's a 
death blow for the Republicans. They hate January 6th. And Trump is still not accepting the election results. It's helping the Democratic Party and hurting the Republicans. So how do they defend him? How will they defend him? Well, they're not going to defend him. Instead, they're going to try and say, without addressing the legality of what he did, that he's the victim of political persecution. Uh, Matt Gates came out and said he's going to introduce legislation to defund Jack Smith's witch hunt against President Trump. How about Kevin McCarthy? He says that Joe Biden is indicting Trump. Again, doesn't work that way. Special counsel doesn't work for the president. After January 6th, Kevin McCarthy publicly said that Trump bears responsibility for that mob's attack. Now, here is Kevin McCarthy defending Trump today. Well, I guess uh, under a Biden administration, Biden America, you'd expect this. If you notice recently, President Trump went up in the polls and was uh, actually surpassing President Biden for re-election. So what do they do now? Weaponize government to go after their number one opponent. It's time and time again. I think the American public is tired of this. They want to have see equal justice. And the idea that they utilize this to go after those who politically disagree with them is wrong. Okay, so all lies, right? Joe Biden indicted nobody. Jack Smith indicted nobody. Merrick Garland indicted nobody. Donald Trump broke the law. A grand jury looked at the evidence. Grand jury said, indict the motherfucker. That's all you need to know. How about Ron DeSantis? He's having a tough time of it. He has to defend Donald Trump, who hates him. He just gave his first cable news interview of the entire campaign outside the right-wing media bubble. With Jake Tapper on CNN, maybe you heard it. Charisma was off the charts. He really wouldn't answer Tapper directly about Trump. Jake, Jake asked him point blank, should Donald Trump be held accountable by Jack Smith if he committed these crimes? Listen to how DeSantis tries to weasel out of this, because he's a good little quizzling. He's not going to say yes if he did it, indict him. Instead, he's like, oh, we shouldn't be criminalizing political differences. Give a listen. If Jack Smith has evidence of criminality, should Donald Trump be held accountable? So here's the problem. Uh, this country <laughs> is going down the road of criminalizing political differences. And I think that's wrong. Alvin Bragg stretched a statute in, Ma- in Manhattan to be able to try to target Donald Trump. Most people, even Who's people guilty? on the left, acknowledge if that wasn't Trump, that case would not have likely been brought uh, against a normal civilian. There you go. So uh, Steve Scalise is all over this as well. He was lying for Trump earlier today. He was saying, I think it's interesting that the same week you have the whistleblower coming forward to testify, you see different attacks by the Biden administration on President Trump. You get the idea, right? Jim Justice, governor of West Virginia, he said they've seen the polling and will stop at nothing to defeat President Trump. We are witnessing the weaponization of the federal government by the Biden administration to target their top political opponent. The good little collaborators, the good little quizlings. You know, um, (laughs) polls show that this playbook was really smart after Alvin Bragg. Alvin Bragg indicted him first on these years-old Stormy Daniels illegal hush money payments. And after that happened, there was no outrage. There were no thousands of people showing up to protest. And fewer and fewer Americans were convinced that this really was a partisan witch hunt. And then after Smith charged Trump with mishandling classified documents, there were no riots. No one got upset. People know the evidence. People know the story. Don't let the right-wing disinformation chamber harsh your mellow or make you doubt reality. Because that's what it's about. That's what the gaslighting is. you got to remember something. They have to lie for Trump. Because Kevin McCarthy and Matt Gates and Marjorie Taylor Greene and Lauren Boebert and Paul Gosar all share the same uh, pre-existing sedition. So here's Marge. Yesterday we were saying that Marge, Marjorie Taylor Greene's uh, anti-Biden 
speech comparing him to FDR and LBJ would be a great political ad. Today, Biden turned it into one. But here she is, Marjorie Taylor Greene, reacting to the news that Donald Trump received a target letter from the special counsel investigating the 2020 election. Yeah, it's absolute bullshit. Yeah, that's my reaction. Um, This is the only way that the Democrats have to beat President Trump is to arrest him, smear him, charge him with ridiculous charges, all in a cover-up of Joe Biden's crimes, Hunter Biden's crimes. It's it's unbelievable. It's hard to even recognize that this is our country. Um, the American people are going to be furious. And and what Jack Smith is doing is is the weaponized government. And he's weaponizing the Department of Justice against President Trump in a complete lie about President Trump and January 6th. And it's, it's outrageous. I can't believe our country has to endure this. Um, and I'll be standing with President Trump the entire way. Okay, so she tweeted, Jack Smith is a lousy attorney. His career is filled with mistrials, overturned cases, and judicial rebukes. He only targets Republicans because he's a weak little bitch for the Democrats. Yes, Marjorie Taylor Greene called the special counsel a weak little bitch. And she says he only targets Republicans because he's a weak... Jack Smith sought the indictment in 2008 against Democratic presidential candidate and Democratic vice presidential nominee John Edwards. Jack Smith was the chief prosecutor at the Kosovo Specialist Chambers, the international tribunal in The Hague, to prosecute crimes in the Kosovo War. So here's all you need to know, right? They're outraged. Oh, these Republicans are so outraged at the weaponization. They can't say Trump's innocent. So they'll just say, can you believe these evil Democrats are trying to campaign by saying lock him up? That's it, baby. Trump ran in 2016 on a theme of lock her up. You could hear the tapes anytime you want. We're not playing it tonight. Thousands, thousands of mediocre white people chanting lock her up at Hitler rally after Hitler rally. Lock her up. Lock her up. Well, Hillary Clinton didn't break the law. He said she had criminal mishandling of classified documents, but Donald Trump is currently facing 37 federal charges, 31 of which are violating the Espionage Act by mishandling classified documents. And it's going to get worse for these Republicans defending him. You know Joyce Vance. She's on TV a lot. Law professor, former U.S. attorney. She had a a prediction on Twitter. She said Jack Smith's evidence or what we see of it in his indictment will be much stronger than people are anticipating. GOP presidential contenders who continue to shill for Trump will be forced to do an about-face, perhaps not immediately, but it's coming, and it is coming. We found out today that Mark Meadows took thousands of pages of classified documents home in the trunk of his car the night before leaving office. As he flipped, Rudy Giuliani did not get a target letter about the January 6th probe, according to his lawyer. Rudy did a voluntary interview with special counsel investigators a few weeks ago, and his lawyer says he does not expect him to be charged. Has Rudy Giuliani flipped? This has never happened in history. A president with these kind of legal troubles. And yet we live in bizarro world where everyone agrees these indictments will only help him get the nomination. I mean, by next month... By next month, brothers and sisters, Donald Trump could be facing four different indictments in four different jurisdictions of our country. There's the grand jury in Georgia. We'll know in a couple of weeks about them. There's the January 6th case. There's the federal case about the documents. And of course, there's still Alvin Bragg's case in New York City. I know I have to write a nursery rhyme or something to keep track of all of this. But here's the deal. 
January 6th indictment guarantees that Donald Trump's lies about the 2020 election are going to be front and center of the national debate throughout the 2024 campaign. I will bet you all these little quizlings will be praying he drops out of the race. We want to know what you guys think. We're at 866-997-4748, 866-997-GRIT. Do we have time for a quick call, Chris? Where are we hitting our break? Yeah, let's take a quick call. Let's take a, let's take a really, really quick one. Um, if I may, hello to Rich in Indiana. Hi, Rich. Thanks for your patience on hold. Good evening, and thank you. And thank you for using that important word, quizzling. Um, I remember when I first looked it up, it turns out that it's Norwegian, and it comes from the time period of the Nazis' occupation of Norway in the Second World War. And they were yeah, referring to people who... Today's his birthday. Today is, uh, is, is Vidkun Quisling's 136th birthday. So we began the show with oh, a, a oh, tribute to uh, all, all, right. the little quiz, all the little Quislings of uh, yeah. modern-day authoritarians. Thank you. Um, and, and also, uh, collaborationist, I-S-T, um, that's the distinction. Uh, when, when we say collaborators, I mean, collaborator used to be a dirty word, and now it's uh, in the, um, the motto of the, um, the Alphabet Soup um, uh, umbrella organization for all of our intelligence apparatus. It's the intelligence community. And the mm. word in Latin, collaboration, it's like, damn right they collaborate together because they're, they're not exactly, uh, well, uh, let's see, and this is, okay. But Quisling, <laughs> the, the, the Quisling always thought the Nazis would reward him. Quisling always thought yeah. that if he yeah. groveled for the Nazis and gave them whatever they want, it didn't matter how much the Norwegians hated him, the Nazis would reward him. And I point you directly yeah. to Donald Trump's loyal, obedient winged Thank monkeys you. in Congress. Exactly. Exactly so. And as as these. okay, now here's here's the real danger, because when the Mueller report was was being generated and then just before that, the uh, who's our real tall FBI director who had the uh, conversation with Trump and had to hurry and make notes so that he would remember everything that Donald Trump just tried to move him into. James Comey. James Comey. James Comey looking at. New York State in the FBI field offices, he ran into Trump land and he was shocked and uh, very uh, much alarmed. And yeah. the, the point that I'd like to bring forward is that we've got within the intelligence apparatus a cult culture that is, you could just say, Trump land. And that is yep. these quizlings. And these motherfuckers are Nazis. Read my poem. Yep. <laughs> Somebody read my poem tonight. All right, I love you, man. Thank, Thank you, man. Poem. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. And we apologize to any actual Nazis who were offended by being compared to Matt Gates. Okay, quick break. When we come back, I am so excited to welcome professors Leonard Grob and John K. Roth to talk about their incredible book about the Holocaust, Ukraine, and acknowledging the new danger to our democracy. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. This is Sirius XM. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. 
Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hey, everybody, it's Michael Steele, host of the Michael Steele podcast. Each week, I discuss key political and cultural issues joined by America's leading activists, experts, and academics for conversations that transcend political boundaries. And that's the point. I want you to join me as we work through real solutions, have honest conversations, just keeping it real, and having a little fun on the side. So listen to the Michael Steele podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Spreaker, or wherever you get your podcasts on. Because you know I love it when you do. Welcome back. I'm John saying This is SiriusXM Progress. We are at 866-997-4748, 866-997-GRIT. Began the show today talking a bit about parallels between the Norwegian trader Vidkun Quisling, who was born 136 years ago today, and certain collaborators to authoritarian rule in our own Congress. Now, look, we, we can talk about this all day. Uh, how are the 2020s like the 1930s when the Third Reich threatened democracy in Germany and the rest of Europe? I mean, we know that the Trump movement and those followers endanger democracy in the United States. We know that Vladimir Putin's assault on Ukraine is the same kind of authoritarianism trying to undo democratic rule. Well, I'm really thrilled to have two guests uh, who are old friends, one Jewish, one Christian, both philosophers and university professors who have long studied the Holocaust and know full well the parallels between the rise of the Third Reich and the rise of authoritarian regimes around the world today. Leonard Grob is a professor emeritus of philosophy at Fairleigh Dickinson University. John K. Roth is the Edward J. Sexton Professor Emeritus of Philosophy at Claremont McKenna College. Their book is so dynamite, you want to put it on your list. It is called Warnings, the Holocaust, Ukraine, and Endangered American Democracy, which is all about the most urgent threats to democracy in the U.S. and how they can be resisted. This is a very important book and a compulsively readable one. What a great pleasure to welcome Professors Grob and Roth to SiriusXM. Thanks, for Thanks John. Thank I'm you. so glad to be with you. Thank you both, and thank you for writing this book. I, I, I love this idea you talk about ethical patriotism that America needs an ethical patriotism right now that encourages Americans to be our best selves. Every president ever uh, of either party would always appeal to the better angels of our nature. This is the first administration uh, under Trump, I should say, where that wasn't uh, a goal, where go ahead and be as racist and as authoritarian and as vulgar as you want. Uh, I am your champion. What do you mean by ethical patriotism? and, And how is that a guiding principle for you? Well, I'll start and Lenny can uh, chime in. We have written this book because we are very worried about uh, the demise of democracy in the United States. And your lead in to um, our introduction certainly uh, points that out. I like to think that uh, Americans 
have a better self. We, we like to think about what's really important to us, what's fundamental, what, what do we want when we're at our best? And I think uh, when we're at our best, we really defend the uh, fundamental ingredients of democracy, the rule of law, fair and free elections, representative democracy, telling the truth, as opposed to living in a culture of lies, things of that kind. And uh, ethical patriotism, as uh, Lenny and I talk about it, is all about uh, those kinds of things. We often hear that, you know, maybe our institutions can save us, but our institutions are only as good as the people who are in them, who are uh, working in them, uh, who are protecting them and defending them. And uh, that's a matter of character and uh, ethical qualities that uh, sometimes the word virtue is used to uh, sum up. Yes. I would just add that uh, Donald Trump and followers uh, appealed to the worst of us. And um, it's we were very, um, very careful to talk about the better angels not to rely, as John just mentioned, on the institutions themselves, but rather the ideals yes. uh, also uh, put forward by imperfect human beings, but wonderful ideals and um, that we can live them was really our, our idea. And that would be an appeal to our better angels. I agree. I, I have to tell you, we, we talk about these issues every night with academics and with journalists and activists and uh, artists and our listeners. And you know the long list of crimes um, and, and the collapse of the Republican Party morally, intellectually, Donald Trump's incitement to violence, Donald Trump's persistence in pushing this big lie, which is not good for his political party. But when we look at the rise of this authoritarian right here, many Americans have said, oh, this is just like Nazi Germany. It's fascism. Obviously different, obviously different methods. But I don't have to tell you, gentlemen, many people are making the comparison. And I think it's a really good time to talk about what fascism actually means. And since that is your book, I, I'd love to ask, what parallels have you gentlemen seen in terms of sowing the seeds of an all-new fascist movement? I think uh, uh, the place to start here is that um, every authoritarian that I know about, uh, Hitler, Mussolini come to mind, Putin is another example, and I, I think Trump is in the same camp. Uh, one of their first objectives is to undermine and destroy democracy. They're subtle about it. They will often use the very institutions of democracy to, um, to undo it. Good example comes from Hitler. Hitler had a parliament when he came to power, and one of the first things that he did was to get his acolytes, Quislings, as you mentioned, to vote for him. They voted to give him absolute power. Yeah. And so uh, it's often said, you know, Hitler came to power through uh, a kind of democratic process and he was savvy enough to know how to manipulate it and use it so that uh, he ended up in a position that had destroyed democracy and had handed him authoritarian power. That's I think it. the same thing happens regularly. Orban in Hungary is another example of a 
current leader who has done the same thing. And this is, this is the threat I think that we're facing in the United States. I was saying to Lenny uh, just before we came on, unfortunately, our book becomes more timely by the day. Amen. Because we've just heard in the last 48 hours um, the Republican plans coming out of the Heritage Foundation, or they call it destroying the deep state, that what it really is is the destruction of democracy. And, and to expand the, the powers is, to expand the powers of the chief executive. And and the argument is that, that the provisions, the second article of the Constitution contains, if you read it by their interpretation, it hands nearly absolute authority to the president. Mm-hmm. So here you go. I mean, you're, it's, we're witnessing right before our eyes the, um, the use of our own institutions to undermine them. It's, it's a very important point uh, that you made, John. And one of the ways in which democracy is undermined is the lie. And this is also common to authoritarian leaders yes. everywhere. And of course, in the case of Hitler and uh, the Holocaust that ensued was, you know, that Jews were vermin, that Jews were a cancer. Um, this was a big lie. And uh, we have a parallel here of uh, many lies. It's, it's almost hard to choose one from Donald Trump and and his acolytes, but certainly the 2020 election that was allegedly fraudulent is something that has led us uh, down a path that is very dangerous and really prompted us to write this book. I mean, when you look at how they undermine democracy, uh, the hatred the otherizing we heard years that barack obama wasn't really born here um scapegoating different communities to me it all comes down to fascism 101 needs to have a, a whipping boy it needs to have a marginalized group that the strong man can say is laying siege to your way of life this tiny powerless group and only i can protect you Donald Trump's administration sort of started off with that being about migrants and undocumented workers it's now devolved into being about transgender children who want to play sports but is that always a common factor in the rise of these various authoritarian strong men that they pick a marginalized community that has to be demonized to stoke the fear and say only i can keep you safe i think that uh, that authoritarian regimes uh traffic in division and grievance uh that's a that's a common uh, denominator i think so one group of people will be portrayed as being uh, abused, left out, um, taken advantage of by another group. Um, the other group then is portrayed as the enemy, as the threat, uh, whether it's Jews or, um, as you point out, in our own country, I, I, I fear that you know uh, uh, transgender people are being singled out in the same kind of way. Uh, and the, the authoritarian leader thrives and um, flourishes in a culture of, of division and scapegoating. Yes. Well, no, let it's me really ask difficult ahead, to think of uh, an authoritarian leader that has not done this. 
And uh, the Jew have, has often been, but certainly not, not always, been uh, the, the victim here, the marginalized group. And we're seeing marginalized groups today, right in our own country. Um, let me also ask you then about the war on democracy we're seeing in Europe. Uh, I appreciate that you frame the war on Ukraine as being a war on democracy. I, I think we're taught a lot of times it's about stealing resources or Putin's land grab or Putin not believing in Ukraine is a sovereign nation. But you both point out very adeptly in your book that this is a threat to democracy in Ukraine and in the U.S. and all across Europe. Yeah, we uh, um we did not set out uh, to talk about Ukraine, but in the middle of our, really toward the beginning of our writing, um, came the invasion. And it was clear to us that we had to include Ukraine, um, the parallels to Nazism, the desire to, um, to rescue the Germans who were in Czechoslovakia, the mm-hmm. uh, ethnic Germans in that case, and uh, here the real Russians in Ukraine. The Ukrainians are really Russian, and we have to return to uh, greater Russia, mother Russia. Right. So we're seeing that very clearly. And I, I think guess. the thing that, that uh, got me as I watched this unfold was that uh, not only are we having an invasion by someone who really is advocating the philosophy that might makes right, which is antithetical to democracy, Correct. and that would say, uh, my, my rights and interests trump yours, um, and so I, I have the power, I'll go ahead and use it and take over this country and in the process demolish their democracy. And when I saw that happen, this, uh, I, I said to myself, I, I've seen versions of this movie before, mm-hmm. um, and I don't like it because uh, I think as, as President Biden and, and NATO and others have stood strong on this, that the uh, attack on sovereign nation um, and the intention to do away with its democratic uh, Polity is is a threat to all of us who care about democracy. Amen. Because we know one other thing about authoritarian regimes, you can see this with Trump, and we can see this with Orban and with Putin, and we know about it with Hitler. They don't stop. If if they get get something, they'll take more. That's right. And so you have to you have to intervene and stop it. And unfortunately, it's taking war to do that in Ukraine. In the United States, we're still in a position where we could stop it if we act politically and really marshal the voting power that we have and make sure that the, that the, um, the Trumpists, the MAGA Republicans, Fizzlings, do not get more power than they already have. It's just, it's crucial. It comes right down to that. Amen. My guests are Professor John K. Roth and Leonard Grob. They are both philosophers, and they are both some of the most respected Holocaust scholars in the world. Their new book is Warnings, The Holocaust, Ukraine, and Endangered American Democracy. I love the 
spirituality that runs through your work and how the so much of the work is a dialogue between the two of you. You write in this book, Holocaust education must sound the alarm clearly, insistently, repeatedly. The Holocaust is a warning. Was that the original inspiration for you both to write this book? Oh, I think it, it certainly was. Um, we are not uh, scholars of the Holocaust uh, because it's an interesting historical phenomenon. Uh, it is that. But for us, it's the lessons that we derive, that can be derived from the Holocaust that are important to us. And John and I have worked on some other books that talk about the lessons uh, that we have, for example, for torture. I mean, it it runs the gamut. And um, that was our, our motivation. What can we learn from the, not so much from the Holocaust itself, but from the antecedents to the Holocaust. Yes. Holocaust yes. did not happen out of the blue. And we want to get at the antecedents so that we can address our own situation here in the United States. Earlier today, John, I was uh, on a, uh, a Zoom conference with a group of uh, teachers in Arizona. They are uh, teachers in you know public schools, middle schools and high schools. Mm -hmm. and. They are. They teach about the Holocaust, so they were having a workshop about about that, and I was asked to come in and, and talk with them about the, the moral reasons for teaching about the Holocaust. And as Lenny said, you know, the Holocaust is we study it because it happened, but we study it also because it it has warnings for us. And um, I was stressing this that um, the, a reason to teach the Holocaust right now is because it provides a lens that enables us to see what is going on in our own country. And as, as Lenny just mentioned, our argument is not that the United States is sitting on the brink of a genocide that we're going to perpetrate, but that uh, when you look at the conditions that led to the Holocaust, those conditions can lead to other terrible things. Exactly. And one of them that could could flow is the destruction, the loss of our our our, dem our, our democracy. The uh, the ingredients that were present in the 1930s in Germany um, have cousins at least in the United States in the 2020s, and uh, just as Hitler had to destroy democracy before he could move to things that he did that were worse in the United States, those same conditions and antecedents, as Lenny calls them, could have uh, very dramatic negative consequences for us. You have written a very powerful book, A Moral Document, and for everyone out there who's concerned about the authoritarian trends they see happening in this country and around the world, I, I can't recommend this book enough and again it's it's so spiritual your relationship comes through your compassion as holocaust scholars come through and honestly i'm i'm so glad that someone wrote this book when we need it professor leonard grob and professor john k roth thank you both so much again the book is called warnings the holocaust ukraine and endangered american democracy it's an essential read and very gripping gentlemen thank you so much for joining us tonight please come back again thanks thank you so thank much you for now. having us john yes. thank you it's great what a great pleasure. We'll see you soon, and we'll be right back with your calls. This is SiriusXM Progress.
Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. We are back. This is SiriusXM Progress. 15 years ago, the dark night opened. 10 years ago, Detroit, Michigan filed for bankruptcy and became the largest U.S. municipal bankruptcy ever at $18.5 billion. Detroit has come back quite well, and Batman's aged very well as well. But today, uh, about 10 hours ago, well, the news got very interesting. When Donald Trump broke the news, and look, I think it's newsworthy anytime Donald Trump says something on social media, and everyone believes it. But what might the newest federal indictment entail? What signs can we glean so far from how this is going? What do we know? I mean, it's gotten so tight now. Asa Hutchinson just called on Trump to suspend his presidential campaign. When Asa brings the whip down, you know shit's getting tight. That's why I'm so thrilled to welcome back the great Allison Gill, who's a terrific entertainer and an author and an advocate for resistance. She began her first podcast, Muller, she wrote, out of her kitchen. Over the years, after the government investigated her podcast and Trump had her fired, she has kept on doing great broadcasting with the Daily Beans and Jack, a special counsel podcast. Along with Andrew McCabe, former deputy director of the FBI, Allison Gill is documenting the DOJ investigations of Trump with the help of expert guests. They analyze all the court filings, letters, and strategies. We are so thrilled to welcome Ms. Gill back to SiriusXM. Hey, John. It's good to see you. Thanks for having me. Good to see you. Thank you for joining us. I don't even know where to begin. I, I, I We're still sitting here on our Fanny Willis watch for the end of July for the indictment in August because he's he's on tape on that one. Uh, I'm trying to keep all the crimes straight. I need Billy Joel to write a new rhyming song about everything here. Uh, but now, were you surprised that it was Trump himself, presumably against the advice of counsel, who revealed exactly what's going on? No, he did it in the documents case, too, didn't he? He said, I'm going to be going to be arraigned. Um, He did it in New York. He said, I'm going to be arrested Tuesday. He was off by a few days there. But um, this is his M.O. He likes to get out ahead of it. And uh, today, especially when I think DeSantis was making some sort of an announcement that and I honestly can't remember what it is because of the strategy of of, uh, (laughs) releasing this information about a target letter that he received Sunday night or that his lawyers received Sunday night, that he is the target uh, of a January 6th investigation, which is 99.9% of the time followed up with an indictment. So mm. that's where we are right now. And uh, I I really wasn't surprised. We had we had Norm Eisen on from the Brookings Institute, the Brookings Institution yes. on this weekend's episode of Jack. And he was you know, hustling to get out his model prosecution memo for this very 
um, a scenario. Uh, and he, you know, just because he's Norm Eisen and he knows, you know, people that I don't know, I was like, oh, well, if he's hustling to get this out, maybe maybe something's about to happen. So here we are. Um, and now he's got more lead time because, you know, they, he has four days to go see a grand jury and, and talk right. to them. He won't. Uh, and then, he, you know, he probably right? he, he, he will not go, of course. No, nah, he didn't go in the first two. He won't go in this one. It's not a wise move. Uh, it'd be like testifying, like, be like representing yourself in a, in a trial, in a criminal trial. Yeah. Only a fool does that. Um, so, <laughs> you know, we, we won't go into him being a fool, but he does have a pretty good lawyer on his side right now named Todd Blanche. Mm-hmm. So it'll be interesting to see what these charges are. Rolling Stone and ABC put out something about what they think the charges are, but it kind yeah. of is worded a little oddly i, I saw um, that are they just, is, this, is this just conjecture on their part they say that the statutes are listed in the target letter to defraud the u.s uh, witness tampering um obstructing an official proceeding and deprivation of rights yeah and the witness tampering they didn't say obstructing an official proceeding they said witness tampering which is uh the same thing they said in the documents case and as it turns out 1512 is the statute for witness tampering, but underneath 1512 is 1512C2, which is uh, obstructing an official proceeding, which is the thing that we've been expecting he would be charged with for trying to impede the the electoral count on January 6th. Uh, And then 242, Title 18 U.S. Code 242, um, under the color of law, right, depriving someone of their civil rights under the color of law. But they didn't give the statute number, and it just it doesn't sound like that fits um, mm. from some previous cases that I've seen. But that's what they say. Um, so will you know? Maybe maybe they if that is the statute that they're thinking he deprived people of their right to vote yeah. um, by trying to overthrow the election and or or obstruct the peaceful transfer of power. But I'm not sure. I'm waiting to get more details on on the, the numbers because. Rolling Stone and ABC didn't have the numbers. They just had words. And sometimes we can misinterpret those from statute to statute. I mean, you know, I I thought for a long time uh, that one of the charges would probably be conspiracy to defraud the U.S. or um, conspiracy to obstruct Congress, which is something we heard quite a bit a few months ago. Um, What do you think are some of the more likely charges that we might actually see here? Uh, conspiracy to obstruct an official proceeding. That's the 1512C2. It falls under witness tampering. It's different than obstructing Congress. That's 1505. Um, that language is a little different, and I don't think they're going to use that here. Uh, I think they're going to use the 1512C2. That that carries a 20-year maximum sentence, the same as insurrection or seditious conspiracy. It's a very, very big, important charge. Uh, it just doesn't sound quite as sexy as treason, you know. <laughs> so, um, and then I'm I'm certain that there'll be the 371 charge you talked about, which is the conspiracy to defraud the United States. That carries a five year max sentence. Uh, but he so far is the only one that's gotten a target letter. Um, yeah, and I thought that was weird because a conspiracy. It takes two, baby. And, well, can, uh, can, I, can I ask you about that? Because because since it is about the conspiracy, I mean, Rudy Giuliani has not received a target letter. Uh, we also know that John Eastman says his lawyers say he hasn't received a target letter yet. So the Internet is awash with conjecture that maybe one or both of these guys has flipped like a crack house mattress. I mean, if you didn't get the letter, isn't that something that prosecutors sometimes do to make it look like? A possible defendant has cut a deal to scare his collaborators. 
Yes, that what somebody uh, brought that up uh, to me today. Somebody who prosecuted a lot of mafia cases, they would uh, get one guy, and they intend to prosecute the other guys on the next lowest rung, but they don't send out the target letters, so that they all think that the mm-hmm. other ones are cooperating, and then you get the four Spider Mans. That's you right. Know? Mm-hmm. Uh, no, it's like, then, in Mississippi, like in Mississippi burning when the FBI agents just had their guy they wanted to talk and they just drove around town with him sitting in the front seat so everybody could see it. And that's how they turn them against each other. Yes. And then because everybody knows the first to flip gets the best deal. And so that could maybe urge people to do that. Now, Rudy could be a different story. He did spend a couple of days uh, doing a proffer session with the Department of Justice. He sure did. Um, as did, um, I believe Meadows also, um, has spent some time along with Epstein and uh, a few other, uh, people I, uh, that, that could have possibly been targets in this investigation. Rudy, for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Rudy is a terrible witness. He is. Um, he, if he begged to come in and talk to me, I'd probably be like, okay, we'll take it under consideration and listen to what he has to say. But he would be a very terrible witness. Although, I mean, he might have some recordings. Oh, I think I'd be, he'd, be, he'd be a terrible witness, but if he had physical evidence, I mean, mm-hmm. that would be Rudy's gate out of pur- uh, ticket out of purgatory, wouldn't it? But, they, you know, they may not offer him a full cooperation deal, or he might not accept a full cooperation deal, course, because he might have to plead guilty to a lot of crimes. I'm, I'm reminded of, of Michael Cohen. He, he never did fully cooperate, but he did cooperate right. quite a bit. Um, and um, had received uh, lesser charges, but was forced to plead guilty to them uh, by his own account in his book, Revenge. Uh, so it could be that kind of situation. We might have a Manafort type situation where he just completely blew up his plea deal yeah. um, with Mueller at some point. Uh, Rudy is just an unreliable witness. Uh, and that says nothing about what's what Fonnie Willis is going to do. But it's it's interesting timing. You know, we talked to Norm Eisen on Jack uh, this weekend and, and say, you know, Jack Smith probably wants to go first so that Fonnie Willis can sort out what she's going to do. Yes. I've got this theory that having Alvin Bragg be the first of all these indictments this year was maybe the smartest thing the anti-Trump resistance umbrella could have done. You know, by by having this little case, years old, Stormy Daniels, we all know it. And it was then that they saw there wasn't a massive outcry. There wasn't some January 6th style terrorist resistance against the charges. So that made it feel safer to go ahead and have the first 37 federal charges came down uh, in Miami. Again, no riots, no army of Trump supporters. Uh, it looks more and more like if they can indict him again federally and there's no big hullabaloo about it. It's probably because they rolled this whole operation out very slowly on the state level first. Fair, fair estimation. Yeah, I don't know that they necessarily coordinated that with one another. I'm sure uh, they didn't, but it's beautiful how it worked. It, it, it is because we know Fonnie Willis sent teams of people to uh, New York and then to Miami to assess uh, the level, the threat level of, of the response from Trump supporters. And I think that the fact that 12 guys showed up with their flags, um, <laughs> and every, you know, it it was like a weird I don't know. It was it was an interesting time. Uh, the you know these this small group of people that showed up to support Trump, but you know I think that that's a testament to the Department of Justice's work prosecuting the boots on the ground and and bringing seditious conspiracy charges against the Oath Keepers and the Proud Boys, uh, which right. was a really strong move to to deter that kind of mob sort of riot. So now we really really only have to worry about these like lone wolf type situations. That's right. 
and to get the bigger fish down as well. You, you tweeted that over a year ago, in April 2023, you said indictments for January 6th would be super fast. This was six months before Jack Smith was appointed and just two weeks before the first 2022 January 6th committee hearing. So now we're witnessing this bit of tug of war where Jack Smith wants to have the trial very soon, this December. The January 6th committee last year has all the evidence, has all the testimony. They're ready. Obviously, Donald Trump's people want to push it back until after the election. Allison, how do you see Judge Aileen Cannon uh, coming down on when this trial should happen? That's a bit of a shrewd move by uh, Jack Smith and the prosecution. Jack Smith, everybody I've spoken to who has worked SEPA cases with classified documents is saying, like, there's no way this gets done this year. It's going to be probably, I think probably a reasonable time frame would be like, March, April, May of next year. While Trump's on trial in New York and Super Tuesday is happening. It sounds beautiful. And so what you do is like any haggling situation. If you want March, you ask for December. And then Trump's going to ask for never or after 2024. And then the judge splits the baby and says, we'll do it in May or whatever. We'll do it between the, the primaries and the and the election season or the the conventions, I should say. I think you're right. Um, and she asked uh, during the hearing today, there was a, that's another big piece of news that came down. There was the first SEPA Section 2 conference and to decide when this trial was going to take place. She hasn't made a ruling yet. Uh, DOJ is obviously arguing for December 11th, uh, but Trump wants it to be postponed until after the election. And she actually asked, Judge Aileen Cannon asked if it's possible for Bragg to move his March trial. Uh, seemingly acknowledging that that would be the perfect sweet spot uh, and that she's, you know, amenable to doing this prior to the election. So I, I just I don't want people to get angry if, if this trial ends up happening in March, April, May of next year, because that's probably when it was going to happen anyway. Allison, do you know where Mark Meadows is? Haven't seen too much of him lately. And again, I have never been more convinced that this guy has flipped like a coin. Uh, We now found out that he took over a thousand documents from the White House at the instruction of Trump in the trunk of his car. Why would they leak a factoid like that if other than to be a, a teaser for what might come? Uh, to 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 put it out there that Meadows is a victim in all this, just like everybody else, so that when mm. he tries to go on his political rehab tour, because he's still got his hand heavy in politics. He was meeting behind the scenes with Republicans in the House during the speaker vote, for example, yeah. um, trying to uh, block uh, passage of the inflation reduction. Like he's been active just sort of underground, like behind the scenes. Um, and he's going to want to continue his political career. Uh, so this out sounds like spin to me. Um, and, you know, I, I aside from those brief stories, I, I don't know where he is or what he's doing. We heard from, I think, the independent right. UK, Andrew Feinberg, said that he, he's going to plead to lesser charges. But then Terwilliger, who is Meadows' as attorney, said, no, that's not happening. Um, But maybe he just didn't want Trump to know that that's what wasn't happening. But I honestly don't know how flippy Meadows has gotten. And I was wondering if Bonnie Willis was going to go first. And now it doesn't seem like she is. We might have gotten a clue about Uh, whether or not he was cooperating based on whether or not she indicted him. So it's (laughs) it's interesting um, what what he could or could not be helping with. But I think he's testing the waters to see that if he comes out against Trump and flips fully, 
yeah. how many people between now and then, like Asa, Asa Hutchinson today, like you said, how many more people right. between now and then will provide him the cover to do that? God, it, it's just like you're you're breaking my heart to think that Rudy might be too drunk to flip. I I, I hate to think about it. Um, I, I'd be most <laughs> remiss if I album. <laughs> right. I, I should take a moment to dance on the legal career grave of uh, Lynn Wood, who it seems like Jenna Ellis got a slap on the wrist for her malfeasance, but it seems like Lynn was told you can retire now or be disbarred, and that's minus one from the Trump team. Were you surprised? Um, that he quit before he was fired? Nah. Yeah, uh, I think he, it's very strange to see how various state bars are treating these miscreants. He was on his way, I think, to being disbarred. I think we're going to see uh, very soon here that Rudy will be disbarred. Uh, it was, it's was it been recommended Oof. to the D.C. panel that he be right. disbarred. We've got Eastman, uh, his disbarment hearings going forward. So is Jeffrey Clark's. Um, it's, it's interesting. I mean, yeah, you know, you read my tweet. I I was a year ago. I was like, dude, it's April, 2023 would be fast to see these indictments. Everybody just needs to kind of be patient. Um, it's, I always knew it was going to take this long, but man, the, the justice spigot has been open full throttle the last uh, few (laughs) weeks. And it's, We've got all these disbarments. We've got all these indictments. We've got uh, the, the 16 electors in Michigan being indicted by Dana Nessel today. That's right. Um, you read my mind on a, that one. That was quite a surprise. That was out of the blue. Out right? of the blue and in- incredibly patriotic. I mean, she's talking with, uh, you know, uh, not just these fraudulent electors who've been indicted, but she's also talking about whether officials may have violated state laws. Uh, whether there's bribery or perjury or conspiracy, Dana Nessel is really the hero of the day, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And I shouldn't say totally out of the blue. I mean, I've been tweeting like, don't forget, Dana Nessel's investigating the fraudulent electors. And I thought what was interesting was she referred the whole kit and caboodle to the Department of Justice. And I think the Department of Justice came back and said, we do Trump and Clark and Eastman. You do fraudulent electors. Um, I don't think I don't think Fannie Willis did that, but I'm wondering if that's not what's happening in Arizona, New Mexico. Uh, Nevada didn't want to prosecute theirs. Um, There was a delay in the Arizona one because the Republican attorney general didn't want to prosecute. Uh, So, you know, I had long wondered if the states were going to handle their own electors and, and election officials and the feds were going to handle the organizers of that entire right. scheme. And it seems like that might be what's happening with, with the one exception of Georgia. I think she's going all the way to the top in Georgia because, because of the phone call, right? He, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, so. and that's only the phone call we know about. They've said they have another one in Georgia. So I can't wait for that single to drop. Um, right? Listen, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't be, I'd be most remiss if I didn't talk about great American uh, Matt Gates. Who uh, might have gotten away with it uh, in the federal sex trafficking investigation um, earlier, but it seems like the House Ethics Committee is looping around to look at him again. Uh, watch this space. But Matt Gates came out today and made the bold announcement that he was going to introduce a bill to defund Jack Smith and that he was going to fight the long arm of the law by taking their money away. Allison, I, I went to public school. I don't know much. Um, douchebags in the House can't defund a special prosecutor, can they? Nope. We went through this under the Mueller investigation. <laughs> I know quite a bit about it. Um, the, the special counsel is funded by a permanent fund in the U.S. Department of the Treasury that is controlled by the attorney general. Yes. And and it's it's funded. It's fully funded. So there's no way there's something like a rule 
uh, homestead something, some dumb thing that would actually require a piece of legislation to be passed, which would require 60 votes in the Senate because we still have a filibuster and it would require Joe Biden to sign it. So that's not happening. Right. So everyone can breathe easy. They aren't going to be able to defund uh, the Department of Justice. They aren't going to be able to defund. And even if they somehow manage to pull off defunding the entire Department of Justice, they can't defund the special counsel. It is funded through the Treasury. <laughs> um, and finally, let me let me just ask you, um, Joyce Aline had this tweet earlier today. I want to run by you. She said, prediction, Jack Smith evidence or what we see of it in his indictment, will be much stronger than people are anticipating. GOP presidential contenders who continue to shill for Trump will be forced to do an about-face, perhaps not immediately, but it's coming. Uh, Indictments don't disqualify Trump from holding office, but the Constitution does. So with that in mind, um, how big will this be? Ron DeSantis and other Republicans seem very confident that Donald Trump will not be the nominee next year, and they seem to be playing a waiting game of just waiting eventually, uh, as Mitch McConnell said, for the Democrats to take care of the son of a bitch. What's the most <laughs> likely outcome, do you think? I'm I'm still rooting for Donald Trump to get the nomination, but what do you think is going to happen? Mm. Um, I, it, again, it depends on the tribe, right? It depends on yeah, who you're right. comes out and speaks out first. If, if Meadows comes out and does his whole john dean moment sometime next year then perhaps the rest of the republicans will fall like dominoes you need somebody other than chris christie um to 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 denounce him uh largely before but i i do think i again i'm with you i would love it if he were the nominee i don't think he's going to be the nominee um and uh, although i will say uh, you know they could have taken that off ramp with the indictments of the documents case that's a strong of national security um you know risk and uh and they haven't um so i i kind of don't understand why anything additional indictments about january 6th would make a difference um if the indictments for the documents didn't i i only think it has to do with timing i think that they know as soon when we start getting close to the convention all right off ramp um (laughs) Hopefully, I think you're right. I mean, they didn't take it in 2022. They didn't take it in 2020. They didn't take it in 2016 when he called Mexicans rapists and drug users. Oh, yeah. They haven't oh, yeah. when they grabbed women by the post. They have refused every single obvious. The Ukraine withholding funds. They've every had so many chances, so many chances to walk away. Where yeah. we're like, what would it take? Um, so for none of that to have stuck all the way up to the recent indictments, this indictment would make a difference. No, I think it's just the timing, and they just don't want yeah, to lose you're again. right. I know what it would take, by the way. Uh, The only thing that it would take would be Donald Trump to lose his base. And the only way he will lose his base is if he wears a Black Lives Matter shirt in public. I figured it all out. That's the only thing that can hurt him at this point. Um, Before I let you go, Ms. Gill, and thank you for joining us uh, from Michigan on a very exciting day in Michigan. um, You just had Miles Taylor on your podcast, Anonymous himself. I know his book is out and he's making the rounds. I'm very curious, how did the interview go and and what did you learn from it? It was so different than I thought it was going to be. I was expecting 10 to 12 minutes talking to a Republican uh, about uh, his book and blowing the whistle on Trump and how he thought he was doing his patriotic duty. It turned out to be a, a duty, it turned out to be a very vulnerable, kind, uh, in-depth, personal interview 
um, uh, which was is, is a lot like how how his book is. It's a it's a very self critical and he's just a lot more thoughtful about himself and his place and what he's done and what he wants to do than I had imagined. And he talked about his uh, coping with addiction. He's talked about his sobriety. He's talked about um, how important uh, storytelling is, how he didn't want to be anonymous, uh, you know, how, how those things wrecked his life, how what he did wrecked his life, but also putting the blame squarely at where it belongs in certain other instances uh, for for absolutely being, uh, you know, hung out to dry by certain people. It's just a very in-depth, personal, great interview. And I really hope everybody gets a chance to listen to it and read his book. It's called Blowback. I can't wait to listen to the interview. Now, this is on the Daily Beans, not the Jack podcast, correct, Allison? Correct, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Brilliant. Listen, thank you so much for joining us tonight. When we heard the news about the potential indictment today, you were the first person we wanted. You class up this joint all the time. What is the best way for our listeners to follow you and keep up with your analysis and fine work? Oh, every single uh, Twitter clone along with Twitter, I'm at Muller She Wrote. That's my <laughs> handle across all social media platforms. Uh, I'm, I'm everywhere, but uh, I would really love it if everybody started listening to the Jack podcast. It's going to start getting pretty technical, very funny. Andy McCabe has a really good sense of humor. Um, every well, once in a while, I can get him to drop an F-bomb. It's super fun. And also, we have Clean Up on Aisle 45 and the Daily Beans. Wherever you get your podcasts, I, I hope to see you there. Allison, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Have a great rest of your week, and I know we'll be calling on you very soon. It's going to be an interesting summer. We have to hit a hard break over here. When we come back, we'll be taking your calls at 866-997-4748. 866-997-GRIT. We'll be right back. This is Progress After Dark. This episode is brought to you by Philo. Do you love TV? Do you love saving money? Then Philo is your solution. Philo has shows, movies, and live TV for just $25 a month. You can even try it for free with their seven-day free trial. No contracts, no commitments, no hassles, just a better way to watch TV. Never miss a minute of shows like the hit docuseries Where is Wendy Williams or classics such as Friends. If you can't get enough TV, then there's no better way to watch. Philo has more than 70 channels like BET, MTV, and AMC. And the best part? You can try it yourself with their seven-day free trial. Sign up today at philo.tv slash poppods. That's P-H-I-L-O dot TV slash P-O-P-P-O-D-S to get 50% off your first month. Welcome to Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low- and high-profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives. Each week, he'll chat with guests like Ben Stiller, Bette Midler, and more about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, he hopes listeners can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out now wherever you get your podcasts. This is SiriusXM. I'm John Fugelsang. This is Tell Me Everything, bringing good trouble to the right-wing bubble. Let's go back to the phones right now. If you've been waiting, we will get to you. Lance in Minnesota, thank you so much for your patience. Welcome. Well, thank you, John. I really appreciate talking to you. I'm a longtime fan, first-time uh, caller, but uh, I did ah, meet welcome. you at the Blue... 
Yeah, I did meet you at the Blue Ball. Uh, I don't know, it was either right before COVID or the year before COVID. Yeah, and Blue, State, Blue State Ball in uh, in, in Minneapolis-St. Paul. It's what, every state should have this. It's this, this is the biggest progressive confab where broadcasters and politicians and, and just cool people all come together. I performed there a couple of times, and it's really great. Oh, yeah, I love it. I love it. I And uh, I, I just wanted to tell you, uh, I mentioned this on your Instagram the other day. You're my second favorite Catholic next to Pope Francis. I really like how you... <laughs> Yeah, I really like how you um, really show how Jesus is a progressive. You know, I'm a Catholic, too, and, and uh, you know, I tell you, the people in Matthew 25 that you That's always it. talk about, they're the people, you know, the Republicans want to shit on, you know? I mean, whether yep. it's immigrants, I mean, you know, welcome the streets, or Jesus said, if you do this to That's them, it. you do it to me. That's it. And that, That's it. That, I, I, I always ask the question, I say to these people, how does Jesus tell you to treat transgender people that's different from how you would treat him? But you know how this is, Lance. This is how you find out how little these conservative brothers and sisters have actually read of this Bible they throw around like a prop. They haven't read it. No, no they haven't. And you know what else? Pass- the other passage they haven't read is Luke chapter 4, where... The devil offers Jesus all the kingdoms of the world. And uh, I think a lot of the religious right just wants the power. You know, they want the power. Right. And they're going right. to surrender, surrender the, you know, put uh, Trump over Jesus and so on, you know, for the power. And that, that's why the Republicans don't turn on him, even though he's a traitor and everything. Um, I also wanted to, uh, I missed the first hour of your show, but you started to talk about your favorite um superhero movies oh well today's the 15 year anniversary of christopher nolan's film the dark knight which most people i talk to say is the greatest comic book movie but of course nerds are uh, a picky lot there's a lot of controversy over that too what's what's your pick well uh, i love batman when i was little i wanted to grow up to either be batman or john lennon but uh when i was a kid (laughs) nice um but yeah but uh and i do like Batman. but i i tell you i'm such a marvel nut um you know, I love the Avengers. Any of the Avengers movies, you know. Uh, Which one? I, I, Which one? No, you're saying this is the best comic book movie of all time. I know you're not talking about Age of Ultron. So which Avengers movie do you put at number one? Um, I guess I, I have We're talking to, Marvel. I put I put Black Panther above all the Avengers, but but go on. Tell me what yeah, you think it's, it's, pro- it's It's probably objectively the best one, um, Black Panther. Uh, yeah, that's tough. I go back and forth between that one and Endgame, even though my yeah. future wife, Scarlett Johansson, gets killed in it. I, <laughs> I know. Um, Thor Ragnarok, pretty good, too. Pretty solid. Yeah, yeah. It's, I love that one. You know, oh, look, I, look, look, it took two. Now Chris is finally entering the chat, Lance. Well, ahead, I just think I just think that you know we have so many different eras in the it's the the, the genre has been around. I mean, it was garbage for so long, and then I think Nolan's Batman movies did a lot to kind of launder the image. Uh, yes. So I think that that the Dark Knight is the best, most. Um, well, I'll say when I say realistic, I mean it's a superhero movie that's like the most like you can look at it and be like, oh, that's what it would translate like to in our real world. Nice. That's what a, a a vigilante criminal and a psychopathic Joker type person would be like in a real scenario, but now we've <laughs> yeah. clearly entered an image where you know the comic book movies are are, are fully embracing their comic bookness again, and so <laughs> you know I think yeah like Infinity War Endgame could really be up there. I always like the Captain you know um, America like I think 
Civil War. I, no, I, I Winter Soldier was really I, good. Before any of this came out, you know, I had I had Stan Lee as a guest on a TV show I did, and and he felt, and I agreed at the time that Spider Man Two was the best comic book movie ever. And now I'm and, a broken down loser with a kid, and it really might be the one with with uh, with with Doctor Octopus and, uh, yeah. and Tobey Maguire. It's yeah, just a, it's yeah, a really, really well made film. Yeah. Yeah, one thing is, as as a person of faith, I, I wonder, you know, some of these uh, superhero movies have like a almost like a union archetypal thing going on. You know, it, it makes you wonder if people during the days of the Bible had had the technology that we had, that they'd be like writing Marvel movies kind of. Because, you know, you read things in the Bible like Ezekiel's wheels and cherubim and people flying around and yeah, you know, you know, it's just really interesting. Um, my mom passed away about five years ago, and I've been using her missile for my daily prayer. And you know, it's one of these yeah. 1950s missiles where they have all the, you know, all those, you know, those uh, pictures and all, all that. And I'm yes. just thinking. By the way, know, non-Catholics, missile is the booklet you have in, in mass. It's not an actual uh, projectile. But go go on, Lance. <laughs> right. Right, but I, I, I just find that very interesting. Um, when I did my graduate degree, uh, I started, I had to finish it with something this long story. I had to finish it on another topic, but I started out writing it on union stuff, and I was, you know, like bringing in um, some of the 60s music and stuff, you know, and I think, I think it would be really interesting for someone to, you know, and, I, and I've seen on Amazon there's some books, people writing about the religious thing in Marvel comics. Yeah. Uh, I, th- I think there is, you know. Um, I think so, too. You know, like, uh, but I mean, but I, I would yeah. say it's more spiritual than religious. I wouldn't say there's any actual, like, I'd say there's religious undertones in the Indiana Jones movies, but it's more spiritual in, like, the Marvel films. Oh, yeah. I, I, I yeah, I agree. There's spiritual, uh, you know, there's some, some uh, uh, values, like, uh, well, you Superman know, does when, that too. I think. I think the strongest thing about no, the strongest thing about some of the Superman, like even Superman Returns, is is that whole. I mean, they do that whole Jesus figure a bit heavy in some of those Superman movies, but it's still there. It's about being of service to a community that might not understand you, and and uh, and the loneliness that can come from that service. I I agree, but I think you can't paint it. You can't paint it with a broad brush, especially with Marvel, because uh, I think that there's individual characters who have some great value choices, but like the politics and values as a whole of the world they're building is pretty atrocious. Like, what do you mean? Yeah. Oh, uh, you know, like, like the parallel the, the universes. Po- what are we talking about? No, I'm talking about like the the like the Wakanda has to keep it secret. Everyone like they're basically espionage oh, trying to steal Wakanda's you know uh, riches. Exactly what Wakanda feared, but Got you know it. the idea of civil war and trying to get superheroes to sign up. You know what I mean? It's almost like anti-union because the Avengers couldn't stay together. They fell apart consistently. Um, <laughs> and it's very pro-war. It's very pro-empire. It's it's a tough thing to get yeah. into. Fair well, enough. I think though there's some some counter themes there, though. I mean, it, it, I think it explores that, but but you know, then there's also like I was watching uh, the first Avengers movie was being shown in FX tonight, and uh, you know, it, it did seem to be questioning uh, Shield making weapons of mass destruction. You know, the characters were challenging them on that, and uh, you know, it it has some. By the way, um, I hear your interlude music. Uh, yeah, we got to hit a break, Lance. Yeah, he was a champion of civil rights. I'll have to call back and we'll talk about that. Yeah, now you're in the club. Call more often. I appreciate it, Lance. We got to go. 
Chris and Thea, thank you. Uh, what a great show we had tonight. We'll be back again for some more tomorrow. This is SiriusXM Progress. Peace. Peace.